0: Welcome to the Lincoln Way Christian Church Podcast. This live recording is brought to you from our Sunday morning worship service. Don't forget to also check out www.lincolnway.org. And now for this morning's message. And in the 29th chapter of the book of Genesis, there's a great love story. It's fascinating. It's where a guy just falls passionately in love with a woman. It starts out normal enough. Um, Abraham's grandson, uh, Jacob, falls in love with Rachel. And the story takes some twists and turns to it. So we're going to look at that and see how it applies into our lives in the falling in love. Look at verse 16. It says, Now Laban had two daughters, the name of the older one was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Jacob loves Rachel. And, and he works out this deal. Here's the deal I'll work for you seven years you give me your daughter, Rachel. And what we know about Rachel up to this point is that she is hot. I mean, that, you know, that, that, that's basically what it means when it says that, um, um, that she was lovely and form and beautiful. I mean, she was just good looking. That's what we know. And we also hear a description of the older sister, Leah. It says that she has weak Eyes. Now, now actually, and, and the commentators tell us that, that weak eyes was really a compliment. It meant that she had delicate eyes, that she had really nice eyes. Now, guys, let's think about this. You're set up for a blind date, and the description you get is that she has delicate eyes. That's not too comforting. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, just... You just that's all, you, that's all you get. I mean, delicate eyes. It's sort of like, well, she has a nice personality. You know, you, know, you just know that you're, you're a little bit in trouble. But Jacob is in love with Rachel. He works his seven years. And let's see what happens next. Verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seem like only a few days to him. Because of his love for her. Isn't that just so romantic? Isn't that so, just so wonderfully warm and romantic? But then it sort of goes downhill from there. It says, And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. I mean, he, he just skips right to the point, doesn't he? He just gets right down to it. And he just says, You know, you know this, is, this is what I want. Well, all of a sudden, there's this twist in his story. And so let's look at verse 22. And it says, So Laban brought together all the people of the palace, and, of the place, and gave a feast. So it's a it's, it's big party. Weddings back then were a big, day, big deal, sometimes up to seven days for these weddings. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. Let's jump down to verse 25 and see what happens. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why did you deceive me? Now, I know the first question you're wondering is, How did he not know it was was Rachel? How did he not know that? Big party. Okay, yeah, exactly. That's the answer. the, The answer is, yeah, Laban, got, Laban got, 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 got Jacob drunk. You get Jacob drunk enough, Leah can be Rachel. And also, remember, veils and stuff, big heavy veils, a burka-type action going on, and there's no electricity back then. It's nighttime. You're blasted out of your gourd. Okay? This is why Jacob gets in trouble. I could have a whole thing about drinking, but I'm not. But thats I mean, that's—that's a, <laughs> that's, that, that's a reason. One of the reasons, you know. Okay. Now I want you to go home and read the rest of the story, but—but—but—but but, do not read it now. There's some interesting twists and turns. Eventually, um, Jacob does get to marry Rachel. Matter of fact, he—they basically Lee gets her seven days with with Jacob, and then. Um, He marries then Rachel. He gets two wives in in a time of two weeks. And then he has to work another seven years. And it turns out into this big mess. This big, complicated mess. And I want you to spend a few minutes talking to you about the feeling of Jacob having when he wakes up in the morning realizing that he married the wrong woman. I mean, you could make a Jerry Springer show about this whole scene, couldn't you? Not that any of us would watch it ever. I mean, you could, I mean, just think of the titles you could come up with. Things like Surprise Morning Makeovers, Your Sister's Hot and You're Not, or I Married the Wrong Person. And while this story seems almost hard to believe, I have seen it take place many times, not literally, but I've talked to many married couples who get married, and not too far into it, they think to themselves they've married the wrong person. Marriage isn't what they thought it would turn out to be, there's twists and turns. It's a story for some couples. Some of you, you live there, dating and courting. Divorce was never an option to you. It never crossed your mind. In fact, you were so sure that this was the right person that you skipped the premarital counseling because you didn't need it because you were better. You knew this was truth, love. This was the real deal. This was the thing that was going to make it happen. And though neither of them had used the word divorce, the truth is this home in some homes, they're barely friends, and rarely lovers, and they wonder if it's ever going to work. So you're, you think that even if it can get better, you can't even imagine sitting in your 80s on the porch swing, swinging back and forth. Holding hands, finishing one another's sentences, living happily ever after. For the most part, they've given up on that dream. In the mail, there's a letter, and the letter was written from a daughter to a mom, and it went like this, and I'll read it to you. I'm trying hard to understand, dear mom, I'm trying hard to understand what's happened to my marriage. What I thought was a sure thing has fallen apart. I'm starting to wonder if this is the man I was meant to marry. Maybe I missed God's will. Being married isn't all that I thought it would be. I know a lot of people have problems, but I was sure things were going to be different for us. Before we got married, it seemed as we had so much in common, but now it doesn't seem like we agree on anything. Mom, I feel ripped off. I feel... He feels the same way. Last night he told me that he feels like a victim of a bait-and-switch scam. We're both bitter, angry, and frustrated. Do you think maybe the person God wanted to be married is still out there somewhere? I'm constantly comparing him to others. I don't know. Maybe I should divorce and start searching again for my true soulmate. All I know is that I'm deeply disappointed in my marriage, and I don't know what to do but I know I can't live like this. Maybe marriage in your life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. Maybe there have been twists and turns that you never anticipated. Maybe you feel a little bit like Jacob, that when you woke up, it wasn't the person you agreed to marry. And there was a bait and switch thing that went on, And maybe your marriage isn't on the rocks. And I wonder if some of you have just settled in. You've settled for less than the incredible partnership that God wants you to have. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk about how we end up getting there into that disappointment stage. I think most of us start out with high expectation, high hopes, and we found the right person or we're, we're going to live happily ever, ever, but then you start to wonder, is this the person I was meant to marry? I read an article um, just recently, and, and, and the article was about a couple that w- was married 21 years, and at 21 years, they were in a six months bitter, bitter, bitter divorce. After the six months had passed, the divorce was over. The husband signed up for one of those internet um, dating service deals, you know, and so he put his information in there, one of those profiles, e-harmony deals. And they live in a large metropolitan city. And guess what happened? Guess who his first choice was? His ex-wife. So nine months later, they got remarried. And their hope is that they will have a marriage that ends happily ever after. Most people want that, don't we? Series of questions were asked by the Los Angeles Times, and they asked questions: What do you want out of life? Two thousand people. Number one: to be happily married. So, what brings it into that disappointment? What, what gets us there? What are the factors that lead to the disappointment in marriage? Well, first one is unrealistic expectations. I, I don't know anywhere area of life where we set ourselves up more for unrealistic expectations. Where it's all hyped up and it's and it's pushed that it's everything's going to be wonderful. I mean, it, it just the whole thing is is just it's just there's 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 no other place in which the expectations get higher. the, the dating, the engagement, all that stuff just just pushes a person. And when you're trying to attract a person, you do things that you would never do in real life. You shave. You take showers. You know, I mean, you do things that you would, you, you would never do. You put perfume on, you open doors, you spend money you have don't have to impress them. I mean, you do things. You know, you know I've, done, I've done dozens and dozens of weddings, and and, you know, and, 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 and and there's some parts about weddings that's really weird. You know, you know, the, the, the bride goes away for days. She, no one sees her. No one sees her because she's got to go get a pedicure, a manicure, facial stuff done. Makeup applied, hair done, dress fitted perfectly. Okay? Then the wedding day is here. What happens? She comes around the corner, and what does everyone do? They stand up and look at her. Right? Why are they looking at her? Because they know one thing. This is the best she's ever going to look. Everybody knows that. Except for one person, the groom. Except for the groom. And they go off on their honeymoon and it's, you know, sleeping late and it's, you know, a party and it's all nice and neat. And then fast forward a year. Year later. She comes down and there he is in a V-neck t-shirt that's stained, and he's slurping his Kellogg's corn flakes or frosted flakes with a scratch in his belly that's become over his growing things and just she walks in, she's got zit cream on her face, bleach on her under her nose. You know? And she has the most conservative nightgown on, handed down to her by her great-great-great-great-grandmother. And they begin fighting over the finances just like they were the night before. Tim Keller teaches us this. He says, In the morning, it's always Leah. You might marry Rachel at nighttime, but in the morning it's always Leah, because we have these expectations that are so unrealistic about what it means to be human. There's also another as the unconscious roles. Whether you know it or not, you enter into a marriage with some ideas about what a husband or wife should do in their relationships. Um, Usually, you you get these from the family you grew up. Some of you ladies were married in a household, were born in a household in which dad could fix anything, anytime, anywhere. I mean, he was a, a master at fixing. And you married this guy whose toolbox consists of a telephone and a checkbook. And you're wondering why. Because, you know, it's just just, just the difference. It's just the difference in the way that you were brought up. There's expectations over everyday tasks, the making of the bed, the taking out of the trash, handling finance, and doing the taxes, putting the kids to bed, making dinner, cleaning up after dinner. We all have expectations. We come in with these expectations, and they're unconscious roles. So here's what happens. We start thinking about what should be done for us, and we get consumed about what that other person's role is for us. And yet the scripture tells us this, from Philippians chapter 2 verse three: "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves." Another, another factor that leads to disappointment is unanticipated differences. On the front of a book that was once written, "Before marriage, opposites attract after marriage, opposites attack." Um, you know, and I, and I think it's true. There, there's something, I don't know if it's in God's humor or God's design, that He attracts us to people who are different from us. Not just the basic, I mean, uh, men and women are just basically different in many, many, many ways. But our weaknesses and our, and our strengths, they, they come together. And uh, one guy wrote it like this. He says, God did not... Um, Give us marriage to make us happy as much as to make us holy, and He brings these two people together. And so I just want to just 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 think about some of these differences. We're just going to take a little bit of a poll here. It says, how, how many in the room? The couples where one person a couple is a little bit more organized, a little bit more detailed oriented, a little bit more structured, and the other person is a little bit more unorganized, a little bit. Do we have any? Raise hand, raise hand, hand. Okay, yeah. I mean, okay, yeah, different ones, different ones. Okay. All right. Uh, how many in this room um, are? are, are, are married you're a morning person and maybe you're married to an evening night person okay anybody in there anybody in that kind of category uh, how many in there here's one here's one Here's one. how many of you are you know you're married to you're, you're, one of you is more quiet and introverted and then the other one is more extroverted and so, so i mean you ain't got any of those here so, so, so uh, yeah all the extroverteds raised their hands you know <laughs> I mean, I mean, it just it seems like, you know, it brings that together, and, the, and, 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 and and brings tension, okay? It comes like this. When it comes to talking and sex, one person thinks there's, there's, that's all we ever do, and the other person thinks we never get any of it done. I mean, and it's just the way, you know, just those differences, just those differences, how it works. And when we get married, is and, 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 and the husband points to the wife and say, let's fix you. And then the wife looks at the husband and said, let's fix you. Because you are the problem. And when they hear that, let's fix you, let's fix you, you can almost hear the announcer saying, and let's get ready to rumble. I mean, that's what's going to happen, right? Tension. But the Scriptures tells us in Ephesians 4 two: be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Appreciate those differences. Be patient with one another in love. Another one is unexpected challenges. Unexpected challenges can really come into our lives. John Ortberg says sometimes he wants to sit down with couples who are ready to get married and say this. This is what he wants, he wants to say. Do you have any idea what till death do us part means? It means dirty dishes, bounce checks, financial crisis. It means career struggles, time pressures, mortgage payments, and sickness. It means fighting over whether you're going to watch the World Wrestling Federation or the Disease of the Week movie. It means watching his hairline recede and his waistline advance. It means watching the skin under her arm get loose and flabby. It means navigating family issues and emotional problems and aging and challenges that you can't even think of right now. And you know what? I was thinking about this. And I was just thinking about Tynan and my last six months. And just, you know, Tynan had surgery. We had significant parental issues that, that, that we were working through. I've had surgery twice. You know, did she sign up for this? Did I sign up for this? Yes. But we don't think we signed up for it. And we think, and we learned that her dad has, has cancer. And, and I mean, just all these things, last six months. See, did you sign up for the challenge? Yes, you did, because you said, "For better, for worse; for richer, for poor; in sickness and in health." You signed up for this. And almost every marriage is guaranteed to run into some challenges. There's also the unforgiven past that disappoints. This is where, you, and we're going to talk a lot about more about this next week. But I just want to just hit a little bit here. This is where you're constantly bringing up past mistakes in the relationship. So there is a lot of guilt and bitterness, bitterness, a lot of accusations and defensiveness. You find out he has, has had debt that he never said anything about, and she had a relationship in her past that she never failed, and she failed to mention. In Hebrews 12, 15, it says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, if you don't forgive, a bitter root will rise up. You know what? Nothing's worse than being a bitter old man or a bitter old woman. You've met them. Some of them you know them by mom or dad. (laughs) And you don't want to turn into that. And forgiveness is the key. Now, we've looked at some things that cause disappointment, so what are we going to do about it? I mean, what, what do you do about this? What would what, what, what you do? This is usually where, you know, the preacher comes up and gives seven quick steps in order to fix all of the disappointments in lives or ten quick fixes to bringing back the romance in your life or six suggestions for lasting love. I'm not going to do that today. Because you know what? If your marriage is having a little difficulty, you can get those books. You can read Love and Respect. You can watch Dr. Phil. He's, not, he's really not that bad. I mean, he, he's got some good stuff. You know, Some of the other guys are quacks. But Dr. Phil saw him, saw him share his faith on Christian radio, to television. I mean, just really, it's real sincere. So underneath all that goofiness, is, you can learn some things. See, it would be like this. If, if you were to come to me as a doctor and you had a cough and I gave you cough syrup, but really the underlying problem was a cancer. You might feel better. The cough syrup might do some good for you. Oh, I'll take it. Yeah, it feels good. Does a good little, little, little trick for me. Helped me out. But didn't take care of the problem. And I know there's a lot of helpful suggestions. But I don't want us to go treating symptoms. I want us to go to the core of the issue. I really believe at the heart of disappointment in marriage, the heart of disappointment in life, primarily deals with a spiritual issue. I really believe... That it's a spiritual issue. I really believe the cause of it is most of the time about the spiritual condition of the heart. Psalms 127, verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its labors labor in vain. You can practice patience. You can do what I talked about last week, about how to handle conflict. And I think those are good things, and I think those are important things for you to do. And I I realize that, but, 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 But until God is at the center of your home, until God is the key ingredient in your family, you're just going to be dealing with symptoms. Now, some of you are saying, hey, wait a second. Wait a second. Let's back up the truck here. We've got a good marriage. My husband doesn't even believe. My wife doesn't even care about Jesus. Our marriage is going along just fine. I'm not saying that you can't be happy, and I'm not saying that you can't be, get to your 50th wedding anniversary. What I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is that you're going to miss out on a whole dimension, a whole dimension, a whole new level of married life. For God designed marriage for him to be in the center of it. Now, Marriage and Divorce Magazine gives statistics that state that when a husband and wife are committed to attending church together regularly, when they read their Bible and pray together faithfully, the divorce rate drops to 1 in 105. No, it's 1 to 1,105. Does that improve? Yeah. Yeah. One out of a thousand instead of one out of two or three. God is the one who created marriage. So when we talk about marriage, the challenge in our tendency is the first to point our finger at our spouse and say, you've got the problem. You need to be fixed. He doesn't provide for me the way that he does. She doesn't take care of ourselves, or she doesn't clean the house the way that she should, or he doesn't, and she doesn't, and you don't, and you can't, and you always, and you never, and yet Instead of reaching towards Christ. Or you point at yourselves and say, well, the chemistry's gone. I've lost that love and feeling. The question I have for you is this. You need to ask yourself this question Am I personally growing in an everyday, genuine, real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I growing every day in a real, authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the central issue. That is the central issue. Now, why is it a key ingredient? First of all, because God gives us the Holy Spirit. When we have have the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God gives us the Holy Spirit. And he says this, is that you will have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, if you are married to a person who has lots of love, lots of joy, lots of peace, a lot of kindness and goodness, a lot of faithfulness, a lot of self-control, guess what? That's going to be a pretty easy person to be married to, right? And if they're married to that kind of person, guess what? They're going to have a pretty easy person to be married to. So, so the key issue is this. Is are we growing in a genuine, real relationship with, with Jesus Christ so that the fruit, it's not like I'm going to work on patience and I'm going to work on, on self-control and I'm going to work on being peaceful, and I'm going to work on joy. No, you work on your relationship with Jesus Christ. That needs to be the focus, is do you have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? A real, authentic, growing relationship with Him. That's the key issue. Secondly, He fulfills you. God becomes the fulfiller of your life. He becomes the sender. when we have that genuine everyday walk with God, you find that you turn to him to fulfill you, to satisfy you, to meet your expectations. And when you don't have a relationship like that, then you turn to your husband or you turn to your wife and you say, now you be God to me. You be Jesus to me. Matter of fact, you become Jesus. Now that's a pretty hard thing to come up be, isn't it? Do you ever try to be Jesus? I mean, that's tough. See, we can't fulfill. There are parts that your husband cannot fulfill in your life. There are parts that your wife cannot fulfill in your life. And so you end up disillusioned in your marriage because you're expecting them to fill places that only God can fill. Now, let's think about this story. I'm thinking about, think about Leah. You Imagine what it's like to be Leah she dad thinks that she's never going to get married so what does she do he do he pawns her off as a trick can you imagine You imagine what that would feel like i mean even your dad doesn't think you're pretty enough to get married wow can you imagine that and that whenever jacob wakes up in the morning What's this? This isn't Rachel. Imagine. Imagine what that would feel like. To be Leah. Imagine her expectations of what her marriage would be like. And she does what she does. If you you look at the story and you continue on with the story, you will see that Leah, what she does basically is try to win the affection of Jacob. Jacob. Constantly trying to win the affection of Jacob, and a matter of fact, she does one of the most important things in that culture at that time, in that she she has, she may not be pretty, but she can produce babies. I mean, she starts cranking them out, and you look down at verse. uh yeah, I mean, she starts cranking out verse thirty-one. It says Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. You know what Reuben means? He has seen my misery. God has seen my misery. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. And so, so, so out of desperation, she has a son, and she calls him Reuben, Reuben because the Lord, he has seen my misery. And then verse 33 says, she conceived again, and she gave birth to a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am not loved, he has gave me this one too, and she named him Simeon. Know what Simeon means? One who hears, God hears my prayers. I'm desperate, God, come in here and get involved. And once again, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And and now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he named them Levi, which means attached. You know, she even names her kids things that will help her husband realize that you need to be attached to me, that you need to love me, that I am miserable because you don't love me, and I want you to love me. And and God, you hear my hear heard my prayers. And 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 Leah's just doing everything she can to win the affection of Jacob. But then in verse 35, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. Do you see what she did? She started getting her fulfillment out of God. I will praise the Lord. You know, Judah is mentioned a thousand times in the Bible. You know who Judah is? Judah, the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. And so God had a plan for this marriage. Rachel wasn't the one whose lineage will bring about the Savior of the world. No, it's weak-eyed second place, Leah. when she finally got the idea that the fulfillment in life is found in her relationship with God, she had peace. Maybe you are disappointed in your marriage, and maybe you have reason to be. Maybe your spouse has left you disappointed, and maybe they always will, but there is a God who does not disappoint Instead of putting your hope and your desires and your needs for fulfillment and satisfaction in this earthly relationship, would you give all those things over to your Heavenly Father? Would you look for Him? Would you focus on that relationship first and see how everything else can possibly come together? See, Jesus comes and he says the same thing to us, that we need to be connected primarily to him. So in John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Brothers and sisters, Focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ as your first, first thing. The one ingredient. Get that down. I can't promise you that your husband's going to become everything you want him to be. I can't promise you your wife's going to become everything you want her to be. But you'll find fulfillment with a relationship that's deep with God. And you will become a better person to live with.